0: Hi everybody, this is Witz from Spider Bait. When I'm passing through Karrim, aside from slowing down to fifty kilometres an hour and reminiscing about doing the Ill Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Carum and get down with the good vibes. Welcome to Rowan Pratt Method, where we talk all things fitness, well-being, performance, mindset, and lifestyle design so that you can live a high-performance life. On today's episode, we have Peter Keller, who is a longevity expert. Welcome to the show, Peter.
1: Thank you very much, Rowan. Really looking forward to having a, a, a great chat about all things longevity and age hacking. Uh, very exciting uh, topics.
0: Definitely. I'm very keen to go down this rabbit hole. It's been a little bit of a passion of mine, particularly just watching people aging well i've been noticing it more often and i've noticed that people that are active throughout their lifespan generally have more vibrancy as they age compared to someone who is quite sedentary but obviously there's a lot of things that i want to discuss i know you've touched on age hacking which is very new to me and i'm sure it's going to be new to most of our listeners so can you just start off telling us a little bit about your experience i know you've had 30 years in the industry
1: yes yes uh, that's a, a lot of decades uh of, of uh, uh looking after people and, and learning and studying and understanding how the human body works um i basically my experience is in my early years i was a basically a general practitioner of natural medicine i would see everything uh, from family health through to to gut disorders and fertility and and children getting my experience, getting my my um, uh, understanding and my research down pat. Uh, and then over the last 16 years, I've uh, uh, headed my clinical work more into longevity and anti-ageing medicine, yes. uh, looking at the way that the, the body's ageing, looking at the things that we can do to modify and to slow that pace of ageing, uh, how we can extend our life out. And that's where uh, my clinical work now has been uh, directed, especially over the last six years. But that started about 16 years ago. so. So very interesting.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. So I love the concept of comparing a health span and a lifespan. And I know they go hand in hand, but a lot of people are focused on how long I'm going to live for, but they're not really considering what state of life they're going to be in living to that age. Are they going to be on six different medications? Are they going to need a walking frame? Are they going to be able to live a life doing the things that they enjoy and the things that they love? Or are they not going to be able to do those things? Can you tell us the difference between a health span and a lifespan?
1: Yes, absolutely, and and of course, both of those do go hand in hand. They do uh, interconnect, uh, but there are a different focus. Uh, in each one so health span looking after your health span and biohacking so to speak is looking at you know how can I have my energy today to get through the day how can I control this this eczema and my headaches how can I detoxify better how can I be- get better nights sleep how can I improve my well-being in the here and now and a lot of the tests we do and a lot of the evaluations and assessments are based around those through our blood tests through our uh, various uh, um, uh evaluations of our body you know, for the here and now, as opposed to lifespan, which is looking at how can I get to 100? How can I genetically, how can I push to 120? How can I push beyond and still have good health, but living with purpose, looking having adventure, looking with health and happiness uh, uh, in our lives for those extra years? So the types of testings, the types of medicines that we would use to achieve that are different to everyday health span and and, uh, and biohacking.
0: So how much is actually in the hands of the individual? Because I know most people don't even want to consider having an illness or potentially get coming down with something or dying at an early age. How much of it is actually preventable and how much of it is just set in stone?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I do, you know, do a lot of education around this. How much is, you know, it's just in your genes and you can't do anything about it. You've got this many years and, and away you go. And people don't want to talk about, you know, death and dying. It's a taboo subject with, in so many cultures, not only ours around the world. You know, people aren't, you know, not wanting to face that, you know, that, those final years. And yet I'm wanting to say, well, no, you know, we do need to be thinking about these things now because we need to be doing everything we can to fight against ageing and to, and to fight against death. You know, I always say, you know, I want to die as young as possible, as late as possible, you know, and we need Love to be do, working on that now, but it's, it's obviously a long, it's a long game. Um, so, so the process of, of how much we can influence now, at least 60% of our aging is malleable and modifiable right now, at least 60% of h- how long we can live for and what diseases that we can get. That's massive. That is huge you know so so you know these understandings now about our genetics and about our epigenetics and around our biochemistry are coming through now that we can have a lot of uh, influence on those particular areas and live longer and prevent disease
0: is it is there a point of no return is it is there a stage in life where it's just irreversible and you can't do much about it or is there always the capacity to improve the quality of life
1: Mm. Yeah, that, that's a very good question. Look, the way we're designed, that intelligent design that we have in our bodies is is as a self-healing mechanism. We're designed to heal. We're designed, you know, you cut yourself and it heals back up again. You snap a bone in half, it knits back up again. We have these healing mechanisms, these protective mechanisms that are constantly trying to play a part in our, in our life as the decades progress. Now, understanding that there would come a time where you've destroyed so many of those, you've broken down, there's so much damage uh, to those mechanisms that you can't repair. Uh, That's where we start to look into organ replacements or or, uh, replacing some of the genetic uh, programming and things like that, which is some of the the developments that are coming out over the next 20 to 50 years uh, to help us live longer, even those we have damaged those those organs. But for the rest of us that don't have that uh, type of damage, yes, you can switch on your self-healing mechanism mechanisms you can regenerate you can repair and the earlier we start doing that preventing damage and also switching on those healing healing mechanisms the better
0: well prevention is definitely better than cure in any Mm. field but so many people aren't prepared to take action and, and do the work now i asked you when we had our brief video call what would be let's just reframe it what would be one simple hack a lifestyle hack and a supplemental hack that could point people in the right direction and get them moving forward
1: Yes. No, good that's a very, very good question. Because the, the idea is that we do have to have strategies in place and that's part of my job as a as a longevity practitioner is to strategize for each person individually what and what's going to get them optimal results with their genes, with their with the improvements in their health, with how long they can live for. So so if we break it down to to uh, simple processes, the first one would be testing. So the first hack I always say, and number one hack, is to test. You can't change or optimise what you don't measure. So so we, if we've got inflammation, we want to know how much, and that will then guide the types of medication that we can utilise to lower that inflammation. Mm. If we have gene pathways that are underperforming or mitochondrial pathways that are under performing in ourselves, then we can measure that uh, performance and we can improve it with the nutrient molecules that we put in. So the very first hack I would always say is to test. And that's what most people aren't doing. They're just doing it themselves. They're throwing you know, lots of time, effort, money uh, into their bodies and hoping that they're doing a good, you know, a, the right job or doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, so so testing allows so much more. It opens up a whole world of of advancements and 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 benefits that we can give to our aging and our you know disease prevention, um, right down to a cellular and an epigenetic level. Well, that makes so sense
0: testing, because yeah. that applies in all domains. Even in fitness, for example, you need to assess where an individual is at, and then you need to measure to see if the intervention has actually been making progress. Otherwise, Absolutely. you're just guessing. And yes. you know if you're not assessing, you're guessing, as a lot of people say. So I'm. Glad to hear that that's one of your something that, that you really prioritize
1: that is my one number one you know because that also allows me as a as a lifestyle coach as a longevity coach to be able to to determine what's going to be the best you know type of treatment that best type of lifestyle to follow and then by checking that on a year-by-year basis you can tweak people's programs, the type of techniques they're doing, the type of supplements they're taking uh, to suit the changes that the body's going through. And if we're not testing, we don't know any of those types of things. We take the same multivitamin, we take the same fish oil, we take the same (laughs) antioxidant, we drink drink our green tea, we do our ice ice baths, we do our our various things that we might be thinking is, is doing the job and it could be way off the mark.
0: Yeah. All right. So personalised interventions instead of a machine gun spray, just inhaling supplements, hoping that they're going to work.
1: Absolutely. A lot cheaper to do it that way and a lot more effective, obviously, as we op- you know, we learn how, you know, what works for us individually and what optimises our particular uh, uh, pathways and parameters that we're trying to work on.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess everyone is uh, they're they're all different. Everyone's made up different. We have different lifestyles, different schedules, different stress tolerances, different experiences, so many things that make us completely different and unique. And we need specific interventions. And what might be appropriate for one person or relevant simply isn't for another person. It's just overkill.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, there are some fundamentals, you know, that we know as far as biology is concerned and the human organism is concerned. There's fundamentals that we all should be doing, okay. you know, in controlling inflammation, the type of diet we eat, the type of fitness we, w- that we look at, the type of sleep that we're getting, the type of uh, you know meditation and de-stressing that we do. These are all fundamentals that every human should be doing uh, to get the best quality of health. But once we start getting into these, how can we extend life? How can we live longer and and prevent disease better? That's where we really need to be getting down into the nitty-gritty and and assessing these things properly.
0: Yeah. So what things would you recommend people test for in terms of biomarkers? What's some common things that people could investigate?
1: Yep, no, that, that, that's a that's very, very specific. And that's, you know, there's a number of types of uh, uh, blood test panels that I do. So I've got an age management blood test panel that I will uh, oftentimes recommend from, uh, you know, uh, from blood testing perspectives. And that's looking at things like your vitamin D levels, looking at your, your building blocks uh, for tissue to be able to repair, uh, looking at your DHEA. You know, which is your master hormone, the youth hormone, you know, looking at some of the levels of these, the amount of inflammation that's in the body, the amount of antioxidants that you have, uh, the amount of, you know, how your, you know, how your uh, insulin, and your glucose is going and your cells are, are working. So there's some fundamental tests there that are really, you know, important to be looking at from a blood perspective. Then I move into more of the specifics, which is how your mitochondria are working. How much NAD levels you have in your mitochondria? Your mitochondria, uh, for our listeners, are uh, the powerhouses of our cells. They uh, they produce energy. They take produce ATP from glucose, and they're getting uh, uh, a powerful aspects into all our cells. So these mitochondria, or these powerhouse battery packs, uh, need NAD as a super fuel to. to run them and to, and to make them in their optimal uh, capacity. So there's a lot of people out there taking supplements, trying to improve their mitochondria, but they don't know whether it's getting in, they don't know whether it's switching them on, whether it's getting them any benefits. So there are, are intracellular NAD tests that are very effective in finding out how your mitochondria are going. Um, I also use a uh, epigenetic age rate test, which tells you how fast you are aging and your biological age so we can be chronologically we could be 50 but biologically we might be 60 mm. so we've accelerated that aging process quite significantly over the preceding decades so the idea behind a lot of our programs that we run and the nutrients we take the lifestyle we live is to get younger than our chronolo- chronological age so as an example uh, and i'll use myself as a, an example um, um, i'm in my mid-50s um, i look in my mid 40s and i have the biological age sitting between 39 and 42. wow so so the markers that we're measuring there are in around immune markers metabolic markers digestive markers inflammation markers Uh, all of these things on our dna are showing me that i'm much younger now i've been working on this for a lot of years remember so it's not that i'm special or i've got any great genes i've just been working on it consistently and focused so that's, that type of testing is fantastic. And when we do that testing on, on, on people, we're able to then come up with a protocol and a program to follow, and then we retest that and make sure that we're slowing down that pace of aging and reversing that biological age. We have to be younger biologically. You know, If we want to you know, extend our life uh, longer, we want to be younger than our chronological age. Fantastic um, insights. And then I, I do add, add a number of other tests to that. There are telomere and stem cell tests that are coming out next month. They should be uh, available for us to use in a clinical setting. Uh, so they're very new tests, uh, accurate tests on testing uh, uh, some of these uh, gene pathways uh, for for um, obviously extending out life, stem cells and telomeres. I also would go through and look at cellular function, how the biochemistry of the cell is functioning. Uh, look at body composition again. Let's have a look at bone density. Look at muscle mass. Look at how much fat mass that you're that you're uh, gaining on the body. Look at fluid retention. Some of these processes. So, so there's there's specific testing for longevity and anti-aging that are that are important. And and as I said, my number one hack, you know, if you measure these, get a good baseline, and then you could start setting up protocols to help people to reverse them
0: yes that's fantastic i love that you actually practice what you preach and you have reversed your biological age yes which is amazing because
1: it's very important to to practice what i preach partly because i you know i'm so passionate and, and, and understanding of this whole science and it keeps me you know totally immersed in it as i'm doing things and i'm not asking my patients to do anything different than i won't do you know, so that is fantastic so, yeah, integrity that is, because that's a very important part as well. In
0: most industries, I know plenty of personal trainers that do not train. and uh, yes, plenty yeah. of people in many industries, nutritionists that do not eat well. There's so many things right. they're spitting out information, but they're not really implementing it into their own life. And again information doesn't necessarily equal transformation. and there's so yeah. much information out there with Google with influencers, it's constantly coming at people. People need usable things that they can actually implement and they actually have to do the work.
1: Yes. Yes. And and the other side of that, too, is there's a lot of uh, people out there that are telling you to do things that it just a lot of people won't do. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that won't do cryotherapy or hop in an ice bath. Yes. There's a lot of people out there that won't take, you know, 10 or 15 supplements, you know, and medicines. There's a lot of people out there that won't go and do, you know, uh, challenge classes at the gym. How do we how do we manage each person's expectations and what they can do what they can't do and, and still get results so that's another part of the equation as well is
0: age hacking exclusive to people that can afford it is can people on a budget do things to increase their longevity
1: absolutely so there's a lot of things that I'm doing here and that's one of the things that I evaluate with each person what what are you capable of doing what what how much do we need to do in and around lifestyle and how much change can we make around food, the way you sleep, you know, your environment that you live in, you know, creating little mini blue zones, you know, in, in in each of our own homes. And I was going to touch later on blue zones, but they're areas in the world where a large percentage of people live over 100 years of age that are still out in their communities, working still out in their fields, uh, working uh, over 100 years of age. They're not taking supplements, they're not doing ice baths, they're not doing all this epigenetic reprogramming. You know, they're doing it very simply. So obviously we can get benefits through uh, those general principles of lifestyle and and, uh, uh, food and diet and, and impact the body in meaningful ways, even if we don't have money.
0: Fantastic. What money so
1: does, I suppose, what money does is it enables you to target and focus your treatments more effectively and gives you the benefit of doing you know, doing uh, interventions, you know, through natural molecules, through drug medications, through uh, various techniques.
0: Out of curiosity, how does health compare uh, from a Western perspective to other cultures? Because you mentioned these blue zones, so locations in the world where people are living well beyond 100 with healthy, happy lives. How do we compare?
1: Yes, okay, so we terribly, we compare terribly. I mean, our average lifespan in here in Australia is just over 80. Yeah, so you know straight away we're dying from preventable diseases way too early with many decades of life still available in us through our genetic processes you know uh, um, you know a lot of people are saying well you know how do these guys you know live so long and I said they're not going to gym they're not going you know they haven't stepped inside a gym a lot of these people before in their life they're just they're being active they're doing things in their daily life you know the amount of pollutions that they're involved in the amount of processed foods their stress levels the way they sleep their purpose and their involvement with their families and their community is so much different to the way we live in our Western society, you know, and, and really part of my, you know, teachings and education for all uh, my uh, people involved in my partnerships, longevity partnerships, is to create these mini blue zones or to create that type of environment in their own homes with their own families, with their own well-being as much as possible. Wow. It's, it's th- tragic to be, li- to, be, to be, you know, dying at, at such a young age in our societies. Yes, the, the, our average age has been creeping up, but that's not because we're getting healthier. That's because medical science is keeping us alive longer with our disease.
0: Yes. And how many of these diseases do you believe are preventable?
1: Well, 90% of them.
0: Yeah. That's you know, scary thought, isn't it? That it's all are, self-inflicted. Are not,
1: that's right. Most diseases aren't genetic. You know, uh, We can have hereditary profiles that are running through families, but you know, most of them are preventable. You know, and this is where we start getting into a little bit of that discussion about genetics and epigenetics. Our genetics, of course, that code that's in there, something we're born with, uh, we can have the genes there for cancer, we can have the genes for diabetes, we can have the genes for a number of different uh, disease states, but it's our epigenetics that control the expression of those genes. So we've, if we're able to keep those genes in a switched-off position position, they won't express as a cancerous change or abnormal cell development within our bodies. And that's the role of the epigenetics. Your epigenetics are sort of like the, the laser uh, reader of a CD. If we've got a CD with all the songs on it, uh, that's your genes, is the CD, and the epigenetics is the laser that reads that information and puts the sound out for us or puts the information out. It's because we're damaging that epigenetics so dramatically, Um, that we're starting to express a lot of these diseases that are coming on. Um, We could have the genes for uh, diabetes, for instance, but if we stay in a healthy state, we stay with our glucose levels in a healthy area uh, range, we've got a pancreas that is working well, we've got uh, uh, a correct diet and nutrition, we don't have to express that uh, diabetes and have diabetes.
0: A lot of people just accept, you know, it's in my bloodline, it's hereditary, Mm. it's inevitable that I'm going to end up in this situation. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're probably following the same behavioural patterns that their predecessors have gone through that led them to that point.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. You're seeing them following the same eating patterns that parents and grandparents have growing up in similar areas you know, that might have, you know, deficiencies in the soils, uh, in their food state, Uh, there might have been, you know, similar pollutions and and, and things like that 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 they weren't aware of that runs through family lines. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, that we can be perpetuating things from our past that's causing problems now, it's not because that's just, you know, written into us and, and it's inevitable you're going to get it.
0: Yes, and a lot of people just accept their fate and refuse to consider the fact that they actually have the power to control it. So out of curiosity, when it comes to food, for example, because this is something simple that most people, everyone has to eat, so it's something that people can address. There's many different diets and a lot of people boast the same benefits despite being polar opposites such as carnivore and vegan, etc. But when it comes to food quality, does it matter? If I buy a conventional apple from Coles or Woolworths compared to a farmer's market or an organic apple, does it matter? Is the uh, nutritional profile different?
1: Yes, so there have been a number of studies done on this exact question, you know, what, what are we looking like uh, with with uh, uh, mineral content, vitamin content, antioxidant content, um, you know, when we burn it down to ash of particular food uh, through, you know, general supermarket food to say organic or self-grown. Um, and there, in quite a few of those uh, markers have been quite dramatic differences, you know, in what you're getting uh, through a, a bulk Bulk grown and and uh, uh, sold product compared to what's organic and what or what you grow yourself. Um, they're, they're, that's where then testing comes into place. What I would do with people, depending on what they're capable of doing with their food sources, is, OK, I've got this particular type of diet. Let's test and see what gaps are showing up. What particular nutrients aren't you getting you know, through your current food source and how can we plug those gaps? Do we plug them through nutrients uh, that you take? Do we plug them by trying to change you over to a, a higher uh, content of nutrition within a food? Uh, But we're always testing to make sure that they're getting better outcomes.
0: I love that because so many people don't even consider what supplementation actually is. Because if you are fulfilling that need through a healthy diet and you're meeting all your dietary requirements for your macro and micronutrients, you don't need that particular supplement. It's only to fill in Mm. the gaps.
1: Yes. That's exactly right, and and it's it's quite common, you know, that you know, that we're seeing people then not realising what those gaps are and then just throwing a bucket of things. So you of people that come into my clinics that, you know, with a basket full of things that they've been taking, things that they've read off the internet, something that a friend or family member's told them about, something they've gone and done uh, their own research on or grabbed off the health food shop floor. Um, and so in the end, I can cut them down oftentimes from that, you know, 15, 20, 25 products that they've been trying or taking down to a specific three, four that they you know, absolutely need through you know through testing correctly what they actually need.
0: Wow, boosting effectiveness, efficiency, and results, and obviously saving yes. money. So that's a it's a mm. very unique mm. uh, offer now, that with, you're providing with, to the world.
1: That in with that in mind, sorry, Rowan. Uh, with that in mind, uh, obviously, you know, the the better we eat, the more organic we can we can get, the fresher we can get things, the more local we can get things, the more seasonal we can get things. These are the crux of, of getting back to a good, you know, modern diet, rather than you know uh, things that travel long distances uh, uh, out of the seasons that we're actually in uh, have been sitting for long periods of time in warehouses or trucks before they even get into our fridge. You know, so so obviously there's some principles. Around around that that we, that we really need to improve upon as a, as a Western society if we want to live longer and, and, and prevent disease.
0: Well, I think most of our food suppliers are more concerned about the longevity of the actual food as opposed to mm. us. Yes. Yeah,
1: that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, true. <laughs> the, wrong, the wrong focus of longevity.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Very interesting. Now, out of curiosity, obviously it is individualised with each person, particular people have different behaviours, past, underlying issues. Uh, diets etc and they have uh, nutritional deficiencies is there any overlap between supplements that everyone should be taking that just without a doubt regardless of your scenario you will actually improve your overall quality of life by taking these things
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, so whether you're a biohacker or an age hacker, whether you're looking for you know good health now and prevention of disease or whether you're looking to try to get to 120, there's a couple of fundamental nutrients that everybody should be taking. One of those is sulforaphane, Uh, which comes from broccoli sprouts and that particular chemical switches on a lot of our defence mechanisms, our glutathione, our antioxidant pathways to protect the cells and the genetics from damage that comes from pollutions, from stresses, from various things through our environment. Um, So our defence mechanisms are oftentimes either overwhelmed or they're, they're being hammered, you know, day in, day out, or they might not even be working. So sulforaphane is one of those, you know, molecules that everybody should be taking Taking to improve their, their, the defence mechanisms of all their genes. Um, in saying that, the other things that everybody should be taking, magnesium, you know, uh, you know that's, that's health 101. Uh, magnesium helps for telomeres, lengthening telomeres and helping with telomerase. But, of course, it comes down to helping us manage stress, managing our muscles, managing our nerves, managing our sleep. There's so many things. I, I call magnesium, you know, God's gift to humanity. It's one of those fundamental minerals that is just you know involved in 300 different enzymic actions within the body. So it's it's a fundamental.
0: Just, sorry, um, just to cut, cut you yeah. off at a moment on magnesium there is so many different types and there's so much debate about which one to use at which time some to improve sleep some for muscle cramps some that are easily digested and don't affect the gut so much what do you recommend does it matter or is any magnesium better than no magnesium
1: great question let me uh, settle it once and for all and make it very easy it doesn't matter the form ah fantastic the only the only thing that i would normally say is don't use magnesium oxide Okay. so the oxide form obviously the epsom salts very good for bowel movements yeah so if you have a lot of you know you have some magnesium oxide you're going to be going to the run for <laughs> people with constipation or things like that so yep. we don't get a lot of absorption of that into the bloodstream okay but for for decades now before the the understanding of all these different forms of magnesium i have been getting nearly 100 results with using magnesium just using the biglycinate forms using amino acid chelate just using citrate yeah. Yeah. You know, we don't have to be worrying ne- necessarily about then going to orotate and aspartates and and uh, uh, theonates and all the different types of uh, magnesiums out there. It becomes a headache. Yes. Just get magnesium into you every day. Fantastic. The body then, in its innate wisdom, will take that magnesium and send it to where it's necessary.
0: Now, is there a particular threshold? With, so I know with there's dosages with everything, and there's people mm. boast a range of uh, levels. Would twice a day, three times a day? What should people be aiming for?
1: Yes. Uh, generally speaking for me it's twice a day morning and evening yeah Uh, i know of the impact
0: that it has on sleep a lot of people swear by it
1: yes absolutely so so magnesium i take each day you know definitely the 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 one after dinner is is the relaxing one does help to bring down from the stresses of the day uh it relaxes nerve impulses you know uh, electrical impulses in our nerves just helps to slow down those brain waves Um, you know that's that's definitely magnesium in the evening is great but oftentimes a good little test you can do is just go into bowel tolerance Yes. So that means just take take it through the day, take heaps of it until you get the runs, yeah. <laughs> until you've got on the toilet. It's not going to hurt you. If anything, it's going to be beneficial because most people are more backed up. You know, so getting stuff out is going to be beneficial. But go until your bowel can't handle that amount of magnesium, and then back it off until the bowels firm up again, and that's a level that will be beneficial for you.
0: Excellent. So we've got the broccoli sprouts, we've got magnesium. What the else?
1: Magnesium. Uh, the uh, uh, another one there, vitamin D. Yep. So, so again, vitamin D is a, is a no brainer for a lot of people, but very much involved in, in mitochondrial function, very much involved in stem cells uh, uh, and the stem cell pool, uh, being a hormone very much uh, responsible for hormonal balance, especially in and around thyroid hormones, ovarian and testy hormones, uh, human growth hormone, uh, neurotransmitter response. So it's got so many pathways that vitamin D works on. And as Australians, we have some of the lowest vitamin D levels on the planet. Despite the fact that we're one of the sunniest, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know uh, countries on the planet, uh, and this is, I think, because our slip, slop, slap message has got through so effectively over the last 30 years. Yeah. Uh, if you you know, you you know go back to when those uh, ads started coming out, that you know people started to become so much more uh, diligent in lathering up with sunburn cream, wearing, wearing sunglasses, putting on a hat, wearing a shirt when you're outside. Uh, again, when you know being so sunny, we oftentimes find shade to stand in. You know, where uh, we've got tinted windows on our cars, you know, and in our houses, so we're not getting sunlight and vitamin D. Uh, our work environment now—we leave for work at seven in the morning. We don't get home till seven at night. You know, so we're just not getting sun exposure. You know, to enable out those vitamin D levels to be up at the levels that are uh, 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 physiological beneficial for the cells.
0: Now, I know there's been a lot of talk now about getting early morning sunlight in the morning to set circadian rhythms. Now, in terms of vitamin D sufficient uh, sufficiency, what level should people be aiming for? I've heard people discuss going from 1,000 IU to up to 10. Seems to be a lot of people sitting on around 5.
1: Yes, yeah, I, and I take five daily myself. Again, yep. this is a testing uh, molecule that must be tested to work out uh, where you're at and how much you need. So, I like to see uh, all my uh, health family be up around 150 when you're looking at your blood tests. So, when you get your vitamin D tested, uh, you want to be sitting up around 150. For people with various health uh, conditions, cancer, diabetes, um, heart disease, autoimmune conditions, you. Uh, might be looking at trying to push that up towards 200 on your blood test. Um, but you don't want to be dropping below 100, you know, at mm. any stage. And the majority of people that I see here in practice, uh, and I've done thousands and thousands and thousands of vitamin D tests. So this is coming as, you know, w- you know, uh, with experience, you know, and then and then treated accordingly to get those levels right. Um, most people I've seen when they present to me are sitting between 40 and 60. Mm. So, straight away, there's a, a, a massive reduction in the amount of vitamin D or hormone D uh, that the, the body is using uh, that, has, that it can use. So, I'm trying to get those levels up towards 150.
0: Okay. So Anything else that should be included as a staple?
1: Um, it, well, I do like to include, you know, vitamin K, my vitamin D's do have vitamin K2 added to it because yep. I'm using that as a calcium reorganizer, getting calcium out of the arteries, getting them out of the joints, getting it out of the brain uh, and into the bone where it can uh, uh, deal with bone density. Uh, but that's uh, the only addition that I would uh, sort of put into you know, along with vitamin D um but again making sure that we we test regularly to find out what levels you require so some people once they get up to 150 they might find 1 or 2000 or 3000 is enough to keep them up at that level mm. other people need 5 to 10000 to keep them at that level yeah so so it's not about how much you take it's how much you require to get you keep your level up in around that you know mid hundreds
0: Thank you for sharing that. And there's something I wanted to delve into uh, based on information you provided me. What are the nine hallmarks of ageing?
1: Yes. Yes. So that's, that's been a really, really fascinating um, area of research over the last 20 years. Um, back in 2013, a group of scientists were given the task basically of, of trying to define ageing. Uh, and this is where we were starting to, to get a lot of governments were uh, starting to be talked to, uh, trying to make ageing a disease, trying to, to define it as a disease, because as soon as we can define ageing as a disease, uh, of course, there's so much more uh, um, money that can be poured into the, the the study of it, so many more medicines that can be developed if they can define it as a disease. So these scientists got together and, and came up with and looking at all the available data around research from from genetics through to how the diseases develop and came up with these nine hallmarks of ageing. So they are things like our mitochondria, you know, breaking down and being dysfunctional, so cells start to break down, genetic instability, so our genes, the way our epigenes, the damage to those, the amount of uh, damage to our genetics. Uh, cellular senescence so that means there's these cells that get to their use by date and the body should clear those out and kill them off and remove them but that doesn't happen and we end up getting these zombie they call them zombie cells so they're cells that are basically dead and not functional but they're sitting around clogging up the system like a lot of debris uh, sitting in a river after a flood Mm. And these cells co- create a, a huge amount of damage uh, to the system. They, they, they do put out inflammation markers and they, they block up a whole lot of systems and pathways. So this cellular senescence continues to get more and more as we age. Uh, stem cell exhaustion, where the stem cells, we don't have enough of them to repair and regenerate tissue. Um, you know, cells not communicating to each other, genes not communicating to each other. Uh, So there's nine of these, uh, uh, epigenetic alterations, telomere attritions. I don't know whether your listeners have heard much about telomeres, but basically telomeres are the little, uh, on the end of your shoelace, you've got these little plastic bits to stop the shoelace from unravelling. So our chromosomes have the same thing. On the end of our chromosomes, we have these little shoelace, these little plastic tips that stop the chromosome from unravelling. So, as that uh, tip gets shorter and shorter and shorter, uh, uh, obviously, that's occurring through damage. Eventually, we get to the point where the chromosome then is, is, is compromised and unravels. Um, so, we can actually, you know, in, increase these tips on the our chromosomes again. So, these nine hallmarks of ageing basically gave us a, a, an understanding of how the human body ages. And then uh, it starts to direct therapy and mechanisms that we can actually uh, uh, work on to reverse these hallmarks of ageing to help us live longer.
0: Are each of these hallmarks measurable?
1: Yes. So so not every one of them as yet. Uh, so uh, I mentioned before that there's telomeres and stem cells. Uh, uh, we are getting uh, functional tests that we can all uh, uh, partake in uh, over the next month or two. So, so some of those tests aren't available just to the general public. We can do those tests within lab findings and obviously, um, you know, people with, uh, in, in cancer research, for instance, are doing a lot of work in around telomeres and what they can do to, to uh, make changes to those, but they're not available to the general public. But we can get uh, tests like uh, uh, like I did mention before, the NAD test, which tells you about mitochondrial function. You know, is, is, is it broken down? Are there less mitochondria that, than what we should have? It, is it full of uh, fuel to drive them and to, to, to increase and boost their function? Um, you know, so there's tests like that. Inflammation tests will tell us a lot about that senescence or those zombie cells uh, that are happening. Uh, we can see a lot of those types. In our blood tests, we can pick up a lot of those epigenetic alterations uh, that are occurring to our genes. So there are targeted tests and more and more coming online all the time
0: very interesting now you mentioned inflammation i know a hot topic at the moment has been focused on fish oil specifically the level of epa that one gets on a daily basis and i know the number's been thrown around between 1000 and 2000 milligrams of epa per day what are your thoughts on this is fish oil all it's cracked up to be
1: yes it is all it's cracked up to be it is a fantastic Uh, um, anti-inflammatory some people in some inflammatory states obviously require more uh, depending on the the amount of inflammation and the and the site of the inflammation what's causing it but as a general body inflammatory process uh, uh, controller fish oil does very well Uh, and it's as low as 750 milligrams is required of epa or fish oil in total a a day yes 750 milligrams of of epa has Mm. been found to be uh, anti-inflammatory within blood cell membranes within the uh, endothelial lining of our arteries uh, within the brain within the gut so that has been found to be beneficial um, levels even as low as that which is which is most of the time uh, you know one or two capsules of a good quality one um, you know that, that's that's all that's required for a lot of people. But then up to six or eight, I've given to some people with you know higher levels of inflammation.
0: Very interesting. So another question, there are so many supplements out there. I've been around supplements ever since I was a teenager. I mostly focused on performance initially. Now focus very much on regulating the nervous system, things like magnesium, looking at glycine, many things that have a calming effect on the nervous system. It's funny how your priorities change with time, and I'm interested Mm. to see where it's going to go in the next 10 years. What is a supplement which is being raved about or maybe has a bit of a history that people take that just isn't that great? Uh, that isn't that great. That okay. isn't that great. Something that um, that is probably worthwhile leaving out.
1: Yep. Look, uh, if I'm going to be a little bit controversial, but, you know, it can be backed up uh, very well through, you know, huge amounts of uh, scientific data, and that would be vitamin C. Interesting. Now, you know, again, we, we did go through in the 60s, 70s, and, and sort of tapering off in the 80s, a big, big know studies on antioxidant therapy and of course that was all the rage in the 80s and 90s was antioxidants 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 take your vitamin c take your vitamin e you know get all these antioxidants piled into the system um what we have found with vitamin c is that anything over um, uh, food levels of vitamin c that are putting in and we're talking about a couple hundred milligrams a day uh do impact and inhibit our nrf2 defense mechanisms within our cells wow so, so what's going on there is we're requiring a small amount of proflammatory process to occur in the cells, which switches on all these defence mechanisms. And those defence mechanisms are very important to control the epigenetics, to control your genes, to control uh, the, the, the regrowth and regeneration of tissue. So so these defences are required, you know, on a day-by-day basis and more, of course, in our Western societies and cities where we're impacted by so much pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, vitamin C and other antioxidants, especially people taking big levels of antioxidants, you're actually inhibiting and switching off a lot of these NRF2 defences. So you're actually leaving a lot of the cells and the genetics more exposed to that pollution than what you would have if you hadn't been using those high dose antioxidants. Wow. So, so, so for me, you know, it, it's about everybody going out there and buying a lot of vitamin C and, and piling it in. It has got its benefits in infection. So I do use, you know, uh, vitamin C therapy uh, in uh, when people are, have infections, bacterial viral infections, and they're sick as dogs. They have, you know, their temperatures are up and things like that. Using a, a combination of, the, of your herbal medicines, your vitamin C, your zinc, you know, these things have very, you know, very uh, good benefits for a, for a targeted therapy. Also, vitamin C has benefits uh, within cancer treatment. So there are uh, benefits to IV vitamin C therapy to go in, and that's looking at big doses. We're looking at 30, 50,000 milligrams being uh, intravenously uh, put into people with cancers. So there have been benefits, but as a one of those things that you go down to the health food shop and you're always, you know, buying your vitamin C. Yeah, that's one of the things that I would say, you know, your money is better spe- spent elsewhere.
0: Wow, isn't it? It just highlights how important it is to be up to date with where things are moving because mm. things get outdated and proven. wrong and most of it's all just theories a lot of things that and i even speak to people in the fitness industry and various other industries and they don't realize that you know things are they're just not that way anymore you know things Mm. have changed we have a better understanding of how things actually work we touched on this earlier about in terms of the methods that people are implementing so supplements for example on your background from naturopathy and herbs and things They've been around for years, such an extensive period of time going to Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine and things. Has our understanding increased of how these mechanisms work?
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and, and over hundreds of years that we've been using a lot of these molecules, a lot of these herbs, a lot of these nutrients uh, that have been available to us, we've observed benefits and changes we've found the doses that work we've seen uh, people's lives change we've seen healing uh, take place but it hasn't been probably until the last 30 years that we've had enough scientific uh, know-how and equipment to be able to study Well, why are we getting these results how did that molecule work how does it impact our our gene pathway how does it impact our the biochemistry of our cell Um, and as we start to find these things out very exciting of course, we can start to see, oh, well, that's why we got a result with that. That's how that works and start to become you know more uh, understanding of the, 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 the doses that are required to get a response. And then, of course, from there comes drug development. So a lot of uh, pharmaceutical companies will look at the benefits uh, that are given by a natural molecule and say, how can we recreate that? A synthetic version within the lab that we can then patent and use, you know, uh, uh, for our benefit so so it's interesting how natural medicines have also helped the development of a lot of pharmaceutical drugs
0: i think it's great that we're in an age now where we can actually measure and assess what's actually happening even with things like meditation we can actually see what's happening within the body within the mind physiologically all the biomarkers and everything how it's impacting us before a lot of it was just anecdotal and people just rated how they actually felt and that was obviously different from each person but now we can measure it it's pretty exciting
1: yes yeah absolutely and and it is about you know some of these found fundamentals that we should be doing within our life we know you know that they work. You know, we talk about that, yeah, you know, uh, early morning sun gazing, you know, to reset the circadian rhythm. Well, of course, it's only been probably the last five years that we've had some really good insights on on what the circadian rhythm is, mm. how does it work, how does it function, what chemicals are being, you know, uh, put in, how does our body clock work. Um, so, so as science progresses in its in its understanding and the equipment that we can use, we can use that to our benefit
0: great what about longevity molecules because we're touching on all the the hallmarks of aging so what are longevity molecules that can assist us in that pursuit
1: yes now that's something that i always you know uh um, talk to people people straight up saying okay if you're wanting to go down this pathway of extending out your life and having disease prevention and having the possibility of living a longer life we've got a number of what we call longevity genes which need to be activated and brought into play and we're talking about uh, words or genes with names such as sirtuins FOXO genes, mTOR, AMPK, uh, NRF two, which we mentioned before, these are all gene pathways which are specifically activated to help us to live longer. And so we've found molecules that can activate these uh, those particular genes. So while everybody's getting tested, while everybody's setting up better lifestyles, trying to work out what's you know uh, personalized for them there's certain molecules that everybody should be taking right now to activate these genes now we're talking about molecules and some of them your listeners will have heard of resveratrol yes. uh, resveratrol coming from you know red wine uh, we get our resveratrol the most potent from a herb called polygonum or Japanese knotweed uh, it's got a, a, a very high content of uh, uh, usable biologically active uh, resveratrol with a number of other chemicals added to that uh, herb as well but resveratrol uh very very uh, uh potent in it, in the way it can activate long this now i have
0: been told that many people justify drinking red wine for the resveratrol <laughs> but i also have been told that the negative effects from consuming alcohol far outweigh any benefits that you get from the minuscule amount of resveratrol in the
1: wine you're absolutely right. The, the, when you're seeing a lot of cultures around the world drinking red wine, it is something where they'll have, I, I, like I'm a member of the Queensland Wine Guild, I collect wine, I enjoy wine, I get the notes and the tasting notes with it, <laughs> yeah. but I'll have a little Italian drinking glass with a meal. Yeah, you know the way they do it over in a lot of cultures, where where all their life they've been drinking, you know, every day a small amount of this red wine. That's where you start to get some resveratrol benefits without then the ethanol and alcohol uh, overwhelm of the liver and the system because we do drink too much in our culture. Yes. Um. So so definitely red wine, you know, intake is is beneficial. But if somebody's a, is not a drinker. I wouldn't say take up alcohol. Don't start drinking wine. Yeah, get, solid your resver- get, yeah get your res- resveratrol from a, from a supplementation. But if somebody is already uh, drinking and does have alcohol, then to to reduce the amount down is always a good call. But to go to red wine and have it with a meal and enjoy it, you know, and, and, and get some resveratrol through that process. So, yeah, very, yeah, that's a good question. Right?
0: Uh, I know there's a lot of topics. Uh, it's a hot topic at the moment cortisol levels so many people are exploring it obviously the inverse relationship between cortisol and testosterone just the effect that it has on everything ranging from our sleep our performance how much we can train so many things are impacted by cortisol and in our current state of life where we're constantly in a sympathetic nervous system state cortisol levels are through the roof how does ashwagandha impact that
1: Yes, good. So that was one of my other uh, uh, molecules that I was going to mention as far as activating our longevity gene network. Ashwagandha is a perfect one, with ania. So ashwagandha works, you know, purely on that cortisol, you know, process from the adrenal glands. We're looking at cortisol, adrenaline, histamine response coming from our adrenals. And the twin to our adrenals is the thyroid. So like any twin, you go and, you know, Pinch one twin; oftentimes the other twin will feel it. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite an interesting dynamic. With same thing with our with our um, adrenals and our thyroid; they both work in tandem and we are both uh, joined together at the hip. So, with our stresses, with our you know overwork, with our uh, mental state, with our, you know in relationships, in work, in in how hard we push ourselves, even the expectations we've got on ourselves that we you know for for good health and, and well being, we put ourselves under such great pressure. All of these impact our adrenals and our and our uh, uh, thyroid so ashwagandha is one of those beautiful herbs that come in that modify the 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 secretion of cortisol which nurture the adrenal glands to be more uh, uh, to relax them and to calm them uh, it also works on the nervous system uh, to relax the hyperfiring of the nervous system you put in ashwagandha with the magnesium and you've got a beautiful formula you know, to, to, to reduce stress, to reduce uh, that, uh, that uh, sympathetic, you know, activity that's occurring through all our nerves. Do
0: you need to cycle it? Because I've heard mixed opinions from different people.
1: No. So, so again, one thing that you can be hearing with regards to ashwagandha is if you're just doing ashwagandha therapy and people are taking 3,000, 6,000 milligrams in these big hits, you know, again, this is not the way the body's designed uh, to work. We're designed to get small amounts through our digestive th- tract in, in conjunction with our microbiome and the DNA there, passing into our bloodstream, small uh, levels into the system. So, So if we're using large levels of a particular herb or, like ashwagandha then yes you may use it for a specific uh, uh period of time and then you you bring it off another herb that's like that is berberine yeah um and there's a lot of excitement around berberine being a metformin mimetic uh so it mimics mm-hmm. metformin in the longevity especially in the longevity field uh in the way that it can I- influence our genes uh but berberine is one of those things that I do use you know I cycle but okay. if you're using the ashwagandha the way it should be done, so 500 to 750 milligrams, small doses like that that can be used. Yeah, you know, I use ashwagandha. I've been using it, you know, ever since I, you know, I, I was able to, you know, buy my first herbs, you know, 30 years ago, you know, ashwagandha's has always been in my, in my formulas that I take personally every day.
0: I can attest with anecdotal evidence from my personal experience that I've had great results using ashwagandha. And a lot of people just, obviously the cycling has come up, but when I have ever faced particular periods of stress, whether that's going into a, a calorie deficit for some reason or increase in workload or effects to sleep, I have supplemented with ashwagandha with great results. So I'm very happy mm. to hear that there is no need to cycle it. Now, something you mentioned about, and I want to delve into this, we are running out of time, but how well-being can actually, or focus on well-being protocols can actually be stressful because people put such an emphasis on it. And I think a lot of people don't respect that or even consider that. I think everything that we do should be complementary to our lives, whether it's our fitness protocols, our lifestyle factors, it should enhance our lives in a positive element instead of causing stress.
1: Yes, and that's absolutely true, you know, and, and this is where the biohacking side of things gets quite intense. You know, there's a lot of people out there testing every single you know, you know, molecule to try and see what how they feel doing every technique under the sun yep. to the point where they just don't have a life anymore. No, they're it's a full time job, isn't it? A, yeah, restaurant with some friends. They're not going to a movie at night. They're not trying, you know, they're not living anymore. Um, and that's a real uh, easy track to fall into. And so that's where testing coming back to that old testing that we you know, biohacking age hacking you know hack number one is testing what the testing does is it takes that guesswork out of it it takes that intensity out of it because you know what is working for you and what's not working for you it's not like you're trying all different things and and and, and pushing the body in so many different you know directions and behaviors you can actually you know monitor what's going on and what's working for you
0: Mm -hmm. I love this because it's more about optimization as Mm. as opposed to peak performance. So many people now are focused on short-term results, instant gratification, extreme swings. They're not looking at the longevity game, which your focus is. And, you know, life is a marathon. And what you do most of the time is more important than what you do some of the time. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that.
1: Mm, consistency and I and I and I do, I teach this to every person that comes through my programs is the consistency. You know, you're better off doing, you know, a, a set protocol year in, year out, year in, year out, year in, year out, than these short, sharp, big programs of people to do for a week, a couple of weeks, don't get results, get yeah. discouraged. I bet you see
0: lots of them burn don't you
1: yeah? Yeah, burn themselves out financially or mentally uh, and don't get the results. It is the long game, being consistent. And I use an example of myself again again. again, um, uh, if you look over the last 10 years, the amount of days that I've taken my supplements morning and evening, I've got a good eight hours sleep, I've been through and done my you know, fitness and well-being, I've meditated morning and evening, you know, I've eaten Mediterranean diet, you know, which is what I follow. Um, if I look over the last 10 years, the amount of days and years that I've done that is probably eight years out of the 10 years. Yes. Which means, you know, periodically through that time, naughty me, naturopath, I haven't done those things. Yep. You know, I haven't practiced what I've preached, but I've done eight out of those 10 years. You take somebody else exactly the same profile that you're evaluating and they've probably only done it two years out of the 10 years
0: if that i know a lot of if people that, that stumble into the supplement store and spend hundreds of dollars and they take it for a month and then they don't go back yep
1: yep yep so i'm giving people the better of the doubt there, of having a little bit more stickability <laughs> but but you know the reality is it's so much less so so it's not the fact that i'm doing anything special or my genes are special or i've got anything it's, it's my consistency of doing the things that work for me obviously i test to make sure that you know, I'm on the right pathway, but I'm doing it consistently.
0: Yeah, well, you're not doing it blindly. That's great. And as you said, so many people are doing it blindly. They're just going in and it's going, I read an article about this or I heard on a podcast, take this supplement. Obviously, there are some key things that everyone would benefit from that we've mentioned tonight. But yeah, being specific with your needs that are relative to you is essential and measuring comes into that, being able to assess where you are and monitoring the improvements because the intervention might not be the right one for you. You have to be able to track it and then select the the ones going to give you the biggest bang for your buck.
1: Yep. So the, the simple things that people can just do themselves, obviously I've got available things like the NAD intracellular NAD test, you know, people can purchase that and do that themselves in their own home. Send the, the results away to the lab, The result they get a 16-page report, come back and tell them how their mitochondria are functioning and some things they can do to improve upon that. Uh, the epigenetic age rate test, people can do those, uh, you know, regularly and again, they do it at home, send it away to the lab and it gives it comes back with a 21-page report on things that you can do specific to your own needs. So there are some simple tests like that, blood tests, every Body should be doing at least one to two a year mm. you know no matter what you know to, to, to and and have a look at those glucose levels look at the liver enzymes look at your protein levels look at your cholesterol and your and and your heart uh, parameters look at your inflammation markers look at your vitamin D levels so there are simple things that people can do right now without having to go through into big programs or to go to clinics and things like that they can be doing that themselves to to get understanding of how their body's working
0: all valuable information. I I think everyone should be getting blood tests. But how reliable are the average GPs with the information? Because I know that they focus on common, normal ranges. And the common, normal people aren't healthy. Do they have an understanding about optimization, or is it just basically living uh, in a subpar life?
1: Yes. No, most of them don't read blood tests the same way i would do you know, as a biochemist as a geneticist as a naturopath we're looking at uh, uh optimal levels of all our blood uh biochemistry uh, a gp is looking at more uh, do you have a disease yes do i need to intervene with a particular drug or or, or refer you on for for more specialty care if are you in between the, the, these these wide ranges if you are then you're healthy. You're fine.
0: Yeah, no, it's scary, and that's, isn't that's it?
1: That's the frustrating people. People are going there, going, "I feel wrong. Something's not right," and yet, you know, you're I'm in the normal range. GP that I'm <laughs> that I'm fine. Yeah, uh, I've so. heard that many
0: times. I've even experienced myself over the years. It's uh, it's quite confronting, and you're like, "No, I'm absolutely not okay. There, no, something that's is exactly
1: wrong." Right. So, so I think uh, the first part is at least get into the habit of getting the test done. getting blood tests done checking your cells getting these doing some of these home lab tests you know at least get into that habit and that routine then start to go on to the uh, the journey of understanding them more and getting research well we've just learned today about you know vitamin d i want to see people up for 150. peter i'm sorry to cut
0: you off but we are running out of time how can people find you because i think you've got a lot to offer the world a lot of people can benefit from your services and they need to go to the right person so how can they get in contact with you
1: Yes, no, thank you, Owen. Um, uh, obviously, through my website, longevitycode.com.au. Uh, I've got a lot of information on there. You can contact through there. I've got medicines, tests all available to all of us. Uh, Facebook, of course, yeah, put in Peter Kaler. Uh, let's connect uh, let's hook up and I put a lot of information a lot of education a lot of understanding of, of longevity on my Facebook page as well
0: well I so thoroughly the enjoyed this chat ones. mate I thoroughly enjoyed this chat and I feel like it's just the tip of the iceberg so I would love to have you back in the future because I have lots more questions and I'm sure we'll get more from our listeners so if you're happy to come back we definitely have to organise right. something
1: we could talk for hours and hours <laughs> I'm sure we could mate chat, uh, chat again
0: that'd be excellent Peter thank you very much it's been a pleasure i found it very informative and I look forward to having. You back on again. Thanks, Rowan Thanks, bye. Hi, I'm Fiona Lee Maynard, and you're listening to Radio Caram,
1: which is what I do whenever I'm anywhere near Seaford Caram High School and Eel Race Road. Oi, 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 oi. IGA, it's shopping nights. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA, for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker.